Hello and welcome to the program. My name is Luke Hunt and this is another podcast for The Diplomat. We're in Melbourne today. We're one week ahead of the uh, voice referendum and whether or not to enable Aboriginal peoples from Australia the uh, constitutional right to uh, make representations to Parliament. And with me is Jill Gallagher. Jill is a senior elder from the Gujanmara tribe, nation, I guess, and uh, she is a vocal proponent of the Yes Vote. Jill, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy that you um, sought me out to have a conversation. It's an interesting time. It certainly is. And it's a bit scary too, and a bit exciting. Mm. So there's all these emotions. The audience, a bit broader than the ordinary Australian, why is this yes vote so important? Okay. I've got to try and talk about this without getting um, too emotional, Mm -hmm. okay, because it's really difficult at times. So for those people outside of Australia who don't know much about our history, Australia's been colonised for uh, 230, 240 years and were colonised by the British. And when they first came here, they declared this continent, terra nullius, which means no people lived here. So that started what we call invasion and the governments call colonisation. And it was quite brutal. And there were crimes against humanity committed in this continent, on this continent, on my ancestors and our ancestors in Australia for the past 230-odd years. We, as the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, Mm -hmm. the original peoples of this country, we have never, apart from the massacres and the uh, forced removal of our children to assimilate into white society and then rounding us up and putting us all on missions and controlling our lives... Apart from all that, the fact that we are one of the oldest mm-hmm. living cultures on the planet. I mean, we're, 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 I mean, the pyramids, how old are the pyramids? 2,000, 3,000 years? Sure. Yeah. We're, we're 65 plus thousand years. We have one of the oldest on, in the world, the um, agriculture system back on my country, Gunditjmara country in Western Victoria. But the world don't know about us. And the world don't know about the uh, crimes against humanity that were committed on our people. And this voice to parliament is our way of saying we need that recognition. We've been disempowered for so long. Mm -hmm. And it's important that our peoples are recognised. But more than just recognition... It's about having a voice that we can talk to Parliament and the senior government of the days. And I understand it, according to the Constitution, which I have read, and the changes which I have read, that uh, it basically says that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders may make representations to the Parliament and the Executive on issues that affect them doesn't seem like First Nations people are asking that much. And it also says that and Parliament may legislate, which Parliament already has the right to do. So one wonders why the No campaign is so upset by this. I don't know what the fear is, because there's not a lot to fear, is there? When you, when you do mm. read the actual 
the actual question that if we, when we are, if we are successful, this is what will be inserted into the constitution. So yes, it's, it doesn't have no no governments ever will lose power, right? But it's about us as the first peoples of this country, one being recognised and two being able to speak to Parliament on matters that are, affect us. And I don't know what the fear is. I don't know what the fear from some no campaigners and there are some Aboriginal no yeah. campaigners out there also, by the way. Mm-hmm. And some have uh, political aspirations. Right. Uh, and some of our people just don't fully understand and don't trust the governments right. at all. The Blackfella Revolution Movement, they're against it. Uh, their argument is that it doesn't go far enough and that they would prefer a treaty. My understanding that states like Victoria are well advanced at a state level in orchestrating a treaty. Uh, my reading is that the voice would actually add a kind of overarching federal perspective to... Yes, well, um, what a lot of people don't fully understand that um, when the state government here in Victoria seriously said, let's consider treaties, mm-hmm. OK, both the government and also our communities, the Aboriginal communities in Victoria, we had a dilemma. And the dilemma was, who do they talk to? Right. Well, there's 300-odd nations of Aboriginals. There's 170 different languages. And often the areas they cover is quite small. Yes. And, of course, pre-contact, pre-white fellas coming to this country, we didn't have statewide mechanisms or national voices. Sure. We were clan-based or nation-based, whichever way you want to look at it. And so we had a dilemma of... Well, the government can't go out and negotiate with all 38 nations in Victoria. There has to be some framework. So who's going to do that? So my role back then as the Treaty Commissioner mm-hmm. was to actually talk to the community, Aboriginal communities in Victoria and come up with a design of what mechanism. And we came up with the First People's Assembly of Victoria, which is our voice. And government talked to them and gov- because they're our elected voice. We elect them. I mm-hmm. had to set up a whole new election process because our mob didn't trust uh, existing processes and systems. So we set up our own boundaries, electoral boundaries, our own votes. We even lowered the age for our people to vote at 16. Right. And I'd recommend that for any nation. But anyways, so we had to have this voice so we can advance treaties. And so our voice in Victoria has actually negotiated with the state government a treaty or treaties negotiating framework. So that's like the roadmap Mm -hmm. as to how they will now start to commence negotiating treaties. Right. Going back to this concept of terra nullius, which I do find rather interesting, uh, the the Latin terminology for land uninhabited, which was used by the British to kind of claim land and at the same time avoid the word invasion. Yes. But it, it strikes me that I mean, it's hard, difficult to compare crimes or crimes against humanity, but the British basically just ignored the people that were here. It's as if ghosts yeah, did not exist. Exactly. Which one would imagine could almost be harder 
than they had they had they come in and there was a God Almighty fight. Exactly. I mean, the the, the term terra nullius, you know, that is a, a British that came with them, but basically, right? You did. You you're spot on. It basically meant the land was vacant. No. Here in Australia, we have we have the Native Title Act, which is quite mm-hmm. not crash hot, by the way. But the Native Title Act, the one good thing it did was it overturned the notion that this land was vacant. Right. So now that we have the colonisers' law mm-hmm. basically saying that there were people here, this land wasn't vacant, it was occupied for hundreds of thousands of years. So now that that notion was overturned by the Native Title High Courts, mm-hmm. now it's time to actually include us in the Constitution. Right. We were not included back in 1901 when all those non-Aboriginal men who decided to draft the Constitution, here in Melbourne actually, mm-hmm. there was a big debate, so I've been told, I wasn't at the table. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, there was a big debate uh, at that time that should we include Aboriginal people? In the, and, and we lost that. We lost that. So Right. They, they didn't really include anyone. I mean... It, it's rather a dreadful document it is. to start with. Yeah. It's a British Act of Parliament that resulted in it getting passed. I mean, exactly. Exactly right. So now here with, we have, you know, in the 67 referendum, uh, we had bipartisan support for that. Which was to be counted in the Constitution. We, Sorry, which is to be counted in the census. That's correct. Uh, right. So And then as a result of being counted in the census... A lot of supports that were available for all Australians mm-hmm. became available to us as Aboriginal people. Right. So that had profound impacts on us as a people. So now it is really time for us to be properly recognised and have this voice that can actually talk direct to parliaments. Right. My thinking also is that if the yes vote succeeds, then that would basically consign the whole concept of terra nullius to the dustbins of history. That would really be the nail in the yes. coffin for it. That's exactly... You're dead right. The way I see it is this is the last nail in that coffin. Right. Um, uh, and then I think we as a people can feel equal as mm-hmm. other Australians... You know, we're not saying that our voice is any more important than any other voices in this country, but what we're saying is that we were here and we've been here and looked after this country for many, 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 many thousands of generations and we deserve to have that recognition as a peoples in that constitution and being able to provide advice to government. Some of our own Aboriginal people, not a lot, because we do know that the majority, 80% actually, of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people want this voice. So if it was up to us alone, as Aboriginal people, we would would win the referendum hands down. But it's not up to us. Uh, Referendums aren't conducted like that. So I think it's important that that people understand that um, and... Yeah, it's quite... As I said earlier, it's very exciting and yet very scary. The race argument seems to be being played rather loudly 
Um, enlighten me if you can. Uh, my understanding would be that it doesn't really matter what race is behind this. You know, I mean, if it was the Portuguese or the Chinese who were here before the British arrived and they were the First Nations, they were, it's about First Peoples, it's yes. not necessarily about no. race. No. But yet it's become such a divisive issue over the last few weeks during the campaign. And that's, that's the dirty politics that have been played. Um, when I look at um, things that come out of some media outlets, mm -hmm. and when I look at what's coming out of the opposition's mouths... Which is the conservative side of Australian politics. Yeah, it's really shameful that they could actually tell lies and untruths about that because... That's not true. I mean, already there is race. Mm -hmm. There is race-based legislation in the uh, Constitution where it allows the Commonwealth Government to make laws based on race. Right. And the Anti-Discrimination Act, that's, sorry, the Discrimination Act, has been suspended three times. Has right. that piece of legislation been suspended by government solely to discriminate against Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. And that's appalling to mm -hmm. do that. So that argument that, uh, you know, we shouldn't have a voice based on race and we, you know, is a non-argument. It's, it's, it's just not true. We, we as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, we come from this country. This is our land. And at the moment, Australia... I mean, now Australia is a different country than it was 230 years ago. Sure, well, it's a country for starts. Exactly right. And, and, and it has some amazing cultures that have found their homes here. And that's amazing. I see their cultures in the landscape. I, in Faulkner here in Melbourne, there's mm. an amazing Buddhist temple mm -hmm. that I just love walking by. But you don't see us as the first peoples of this continent... Uh, our cultures in the landscape. We're not visible. Right. Is that always a bad thing? The reason why I'm asking this is that the Australian media is full of outback Aboriginals who are doing it hard. They're always highlighting drug issues, alcohol, unemployment. I've dealt with Aboriginal tribes going right up the coast and there are an awful lot of... Uh, Australian Aboriginals and Torres Strait Islanders who uh, have normal jobs, yeah. wear regular clothes. Mm -hmm. They're not really... The image you see on television is not necessarily the correct image for what Aboriginality stands for. Yeah. And uh, I'm just kind of wondering how is this playing into yeah. the hands of the campaigners on either side? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, look, you know... Colonisation has happened, it's here. We can't do anything about that. We can't change the past. But what we have to do is work out how, as an Indigenous peoples, how do we live in two worlds? Right. But some of that um, atrocities that I spoke about earlier, mm -hmm. some of those uh, massacres, and it's all in the record. It's not, it's not just what we say. Sure. It's all in, on the record. It's all in the history books as to what happened on this continent. Some of that is, um, gee, I forgot my train of thought there. Okay. Isn't some that the, amazing? That's right. And some of those people who were responsible for those massacres were prosecuted and hanged yeah. back in the day. Yeah, not a lot, but. Not a lot. No. I'm not, I'm not, I can't argue for yeah. justice yeah. back then. Yeah, but, no, uh, and nor should we, by right. the way. I don't think we can go back and, 
um, uh, and we've got to move forward. Well, that's where you were getting at before yeah. in that how do Australian Aboriginals express themselves? Exactly. So I, I'm sitting here and I'm a fair-skinned black fella, mm-hmm. right? So I'm not, I don't have black skin. I can go undercover if I need to, by the way. But my mother can't, nor could my brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were obvious Aboriginal people to look at, no matter whether they wore a lap lap or modern day clothes. Right. Uh, but we, you know, colonisation, when it started, it started in these in southeastern Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was very quick, it was very rapid, and it was very brutal. And so you've got remote Aboriginal communities who are still doing it tough, so they're still trying to straddle two worlds. You've got urban Aboriginal people like myself. I know my country, I know my mob, I know my mother's stories. And I know the shame and hurt that she still lives with today because uh, she's still alive today. But what we're trying to do in Victoria is reclaim mm-hmm. our cultures, our languages. Um, and if we're successful here in Victoria with treaties, one of the biggest things that we'll be looking at is how do we set up, like what New Zealand did right. uh, for the Māori, how do we set up language nests? Mm-hmm. It's about reclaiming because it was forbidden before it went to before the full brunt of colonisation impacted on remote communities. Most of the damage was done in southeastern Australia. Right. There's still a lot of damage in remote, but their issues are different and their solutions are different to remote communities. So, what I'm trying to articulate is that, so if you look at Fitzroy, which is an urban suburb of Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And you look at Fitzroy Crossing, which is yep. which is a very remote part of Australia. We have the same issues as a result of colonisation, but there are different solutions to those issues and different needs from Aboriginal people. And the list goes on. So it's, yes, we are, we speak English. And yes, we dress like everyone else. And yes, we drive a car. And I do know what Wi-Fi is, even though my <laughs> mum calls it Wi-Fi. Nice. Uh, That was nice. That was wifi to her, but Wi-Fi to me. Um, So long as it works. Yeah, as long as it works. So, yes, we have evolved. All cultures evolve. We don't stay living with a lap lap uh, Mm -hmm. and living in humpies. We evolve too. How do you think the so-called panel will work in that I keep hearing these criticisms that, uh, well, we don't know how this is going to work after the vote. And if it succeeds, there should be a panel of Aboriginals or a group of Aboriginals who will make representations to Parliament. How do you envisage that happening? I would like to think, and I'm, you know, I I have faith Mm -hmm. in our national leaders, Aboriginal leaders I'm talking about, and some non-Aboriginal leaders I'm talking about. I have faith that they will, whatever this voice is going to look like, they'll design it where Aboriginal people can have a, a say in what it's going to look like. For example, when I desi- when I had to set up the voice here in Victoria, mm-hmm. I went out and I asked, we've got 68,000 Aboriginal people in Victoria. If you ask all of them, there'll be all different views, but we have to come up with a common way forward. Right. And so what I did was set up some guiding principles, what we can't 
compromise. Mm -hmm. Okay. The first guiding principle was we as Aboriginal Victorians want to elect our voice, Jill. We don't want government handpicking them right. or, or making appointments. We want to elect our voice. And that's what we did. And that was that whole new electoral boundaries and a way of doing it we had to do. And that still operates today. We just had elections not long ago, and that's the First Peoples Assembly co-chairs and all the delegates in there that represent us. That's how I'm hoping, if we're successful with this referendum, that the Commonwealth Government and the Aboriginal leaders will look at Victoria and what we've done here. As the benchmark for As going forward. As the benchmark forward. for going forward. Okay. If the vote does not succeed if you don't get the big yes. It will obviously disappoint a lot of people, but Australia will still be here, Aboriginals will still be here. There are treaty negotiations at various levels between the states and local Aboriginal nations. Victoria is a long way ahead, yes. where I heard New South Wales has just earmarked $5 million for talks which I thought was a little bit, well, if that's the best you can do. Uh, how do you see the relationship between Indigenous and non-Indigenous going forward? Look, I, I, it will be very, very disheartening and disappointing. But we will still continue. We'll get up, dust ourselves off and continue to do what we do and try and make it better. If there is going to be substantive change... Probably the next generation that's going to get that. Right. Uh, not my generation. Um, we're all tied. But we still continue to do what we have to do. I don't think our relationship with the um, wider communities mm -hmm. will be impacted. I mean, the referendum is really hard to win a referendum sure. back in 67. We had bipartisan supports. And this time not. This time we don't have bipartisan the way I see it, and I probably shouldn't say this... I'll say it. But the way I see it, if we do fail, that's because of the opposition. Right, which is the... The Liberal Party. The Liberal National yes. Party. Yes. The Conservatives. And yes. uh, I see John Howard, former Prime Minister, and Tony Abbott, yes. another former Prime Minister, yes. have been out campaigning hard yes. for the no vote. I'm a little bit incredulous by the whole deal in that... I don't quite understand why past Prime Ministers are coming out like this. Mm. Yeah, no, me too. I don't understand it. I don't know whether the, the current um, opposition leader, Mr Dutton, and his, um, mm -hmm. and his um, colleagues... And there is a lot of people within the Liberal Party who support... I know yes, there campaign. are. Yes, I know there are. And um, just trying to remember the man's name who came to visit me, mm -hmm. um, Leeson. Anyways, but yes, I am aware of that. I don't understand their fear. I don't know why they want to oppose it. As you said earlier, and as everyone can read by the question, no Australian is going to lose anything out of this. If anything, you're going to gain. All Australians will gain. 65-plus thousand years of heritage. Right, and it would be recognised in the exactly. Constitution. And that can be taken in all sorts of form, including uh, not just land rights for Aboriginals, but 
recognition of legal rights by Aboriginality for white man law, white man property. Exactly. I mean, it was Peter Dutton. Didn't he um, walk mm. out when the apology... Something uh, along those lines. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and it was John Howard, in, in all the years in his office, when he was in office as the um, Prime Minister, refused to sign the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Mm -hmm. uh, so Australia, you know, this is a shame job on Australia, if you ask me. The world is watching. We are the only country that, you know, when you look at even America... Well, this is my next point oh, that I wanted okay. to go towards. Is okay. that, uh, there are a lot of uh, countries with a similar background, the United States, Canada, uh, New Zealand has a different deal through the Treaty of Waitangi, but uh, there are quite a few countries who are watching and I guess looking at precedents, potentially legal precedents. How do you think this will look for the international community? I think there is legal precedents already Mm -hmm. internationally. Canada, right. Canadian First Peoples are recognising their constitution. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure First Nations people of America are also... All men. Yeah, 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 uh, are in the constitution. Mm -hmm. uh, because when I went over there as a treaty commissioner, I went over to learn um, because we knew about New Zealand and some of the, some of the uh, amazing outcomes that New Zealand, even though their treaty was negotiated over 100 years ago, uh, and I know they're looking at trying to uh, renegotiate and, in a modern world, but America and Canada, they have constitutional recognition. So if we can't even do that here in this country, I reckon the whole world should say shame on Australia. Right. There's two main reasons why I'm voting yes. And one is, is that constitutional recognition? So we as a First Nations peoples of this country, we don't have another home to go to. This is our home. Um, and, but we welcome all the other cultures into our home. But I also want to elevate our culture alongside of the Egyptians and the ancient Greeks, uh, the Incas. We're up there. We're up there, but no one sees that. So that's one reason why I'm voting yes. The other reason is empowerment and recognition is a powerful medicine. Mm -hmm. It is so powerful. And hope. When, when you look at all the uh, atrocities that were committed on our people, like my mother, who is still alive and still talks about the horrific time she spent on a mission here in Western Victoria. So it's in living memory. It's not something that happened thousands of years ago. It's in living memory. So I believe if we're successful with having that empowerment and that hope, we will make a difference in closing that life expectancy gap. Does there need to be... A truth and reconciliation type oh, commission? Of course it does. The Uluru Statement had it right from the start. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> voice treaty truth, or voice truty, uh, truth treaty. Um, and that's what we did here. Voice, so we had to set up that voice. The voice then set up the truth commission here in Victoria, which is Uruk, which has been going for a couple of years now. They got set up during COVID. And then treaty making. 
So that's now kicking off. We're now re nearly ready to commence a statewide treaty negotiations with the, with the state governments. And then there'll be clan-based treaties. Mm -hmm. But no Australian, no white Australian, no non-Aboriginal Australian will, will lose anything out of this. No one's backyards are under threat. No one's farms or properties. And no generation today should feel guilty about what's happened to my people. Right. I think that's important. I think that's very important because it's not their guilt to carry, mm -hmm. but it is, it, is, it, is, it is their responsibility to actually not live in the past, but how can we make the, uh, the future better for us both? On that note, Jill Gallagher, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for having the conversation.